0: And 145 dollars a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro dot co slash snoozecast.
1: us on snoozecast.com follow us on instagram at snoozecast to find behind the scenes content if you enjoy our show please write a review on the podcast app also share us with a friend if you'd like to get an email once a week with what sleep stories we're coming out with that week along with any snoozecast news subscribe to the newsletter at snoozecast.com This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters and by Rogues and Rascals. Tonight, we'll read the next chapter to Little Women by American author Louisa May Alcott, published in 1868, titled The PC and the PO. Following the lives of the four March sisters, Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy, the novel details their passage from childhood to womanhood, and is loosely based on the author and her sisters. If you'd like to start at the beginning, find the first episode that aired on December 18th, 2019. If you'd like a refresher from the last chapter, it aired on October 14th, 2020. In the previous chapter, Meg allows herself to be made over as a wealthy belle of the ball by the Moffat family she's staying with, she has an emotional roller coaster at the actual ball, pride, embarrassment, and finally, tipsy revelry. She hears more talk about her and her family that she doesn't appreciate. Meg feels glad to be home and gets heartwarming advice from her mother. Marmy tells her that it's more important to be a good person and to be happy than to be too focused on marrying into wealth. A few notes about this chapter to help explain it, if you're unfamiliar. On rainy days, the girls hold meetings of their Pickwick Club, which they abbreviate to call The PC. The Pickwick Papers was Charles Dickens' first novel, published in the early 19th century, and apparently a favorite of the March sisters. It was a popular pastime at that time to impersonate and create one's own newsletter. During the meetings of the PC, each of the girls impersonates one of the characters in the Pickwick papers. Let's get cozy, close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Now take a few deep breaths. The PC and the PO. As spring came on, a new set of amusements became the fashion, and the lengthening days gave long afternoons for work and all sorts of play. The garden had to be put in order, and each sister had a quarter of the little plot to do what she liked with. Hannah used to say, I'd know which each of them gardens belonged to if I seen them in shiny, and so she might, for the girls' tastes differed as much as their characters. Meg's had roses and heliotrope, myrtle, and a little orange tree in it. Joe's bed was never alike two seasons, for she was always trying experiments. This year, it was to be a plantation of sunflowers, the seeds of which cheerful and aspiring plant were to feed Aunt Cockletop and her family of chicks. Beth had old-fashioned fragrant flowers in her garden, sweet peas and mignonette, larkspur, pinks, pansies, and southernwood, with chickweed for the birds and catnip for the cats. Amy had a bower in hers, rather small and earwiggy, but very pretty to look at, with honeysuckle and morning glories hanging their colored horns and bells in graceful wreaths all over it. Tall white lilies, delicate ferns, and as many brilliant, picturesque plants as would consent to blossom there. Gardening, walks, rows on the river, and flower hunts employed the fine days. And for rainy ones, they had house diversions, some old some new, all more or less original. One of these was the PC, for, as secret societies were the fashion, it was thought proper to have one, and as all of the girls admired Dickens, they called themselves the Pickwick Club. With a few interruptions, they had kept this up for a year. And met every Saturday evening in the big garret on which occasions the ceremonies were as follows three chairs were arranged in a row before a table on which was a lamp also four white badges with a big PC in different colors on each and weekly newspaper called The Pickwick Portfolio to which all contributed something while Joe who reveled in pens and ink was the editor. At seven o'clock the four members ascended to the club room tied their badges round their heads and took their seats with great solemnity Meg as the eldest was Samuel Pickwick Joe being of a literary turn Augustus Snodgrass Beth because she was round and rosy Tracy Tupman and Amy who was always trying to do what she couldn't was Nathaniel Winkle. Pickwick, the president, read the paper, which was filled with original tales, poetry, local news, funny advertisements, and hints, in which they good-naturedly reminded each other of their faults and shortcomings. On one occasion, Mr. Pickwick put on a pair of spectacles without any glass, wrapped upon the table, hemmed, and, having stared hard at Mr. Snodgrass, who was tilting back in his chair till he arranged himself properly, began to read The Pickwick Portfolio, May 20th. Poet's Corner, Anniversary Ode Again we meet to celebrate with badge and solemn rite our 52nd anniversary in Pickwick Hall tonight We all are here in perfect health none gone from our small band Again we see each well-known face and press each friendly hand. Our pickwick, always at his post, with reverence we greet. As, spectacles on nose, he reads, our well-filled weekly sheet. Although he suffers from a cold, we joy to hear him speak. For words of wisdom, from him fall, in spite of croak or squeak. Old six foot Snodgrass looms on high with elephantine grace and beams upon the company with brown and jovial face. Poetic fire lights up his eye. He struggles against his lot behold ambition on his brow and on his nose a blot next our peaceful Tupman comes so rosy plump and sweet who chokes with laughter at the puns and tumbles off his seat prim little Winkle too is here with every hair in place a model of propriety though he hates to wash his face the year is gone we still unite to joke and laugh and read and tread the path of literature that doth to glory lead Long may our paper prosper well, our club unbroken be, and coming years their blessings pour on the useful gay PC. A. Snodgrass The Masked Marriage, A Tale of Venice Gondola after gondola swept up to the marble steps, and left its lovely load to swell the brilliant throng that filled the stately halls of Count Adelon. Knights and ladies, elves and pages, monks and flower girls, all mingled gaily in the dance. Sweet voices and rich melody filled the air, and so with mirth and music the masquerade went on. Has your highness seen the lady viola tonight? Asked a gallant troubadour of the fairy queen who floated down the hall upon his arm. Yes, is she not lovely, though so sad? Her dress is well chosen, too, for in a week she weds Count Antonio, whom she passionately hates. By my faith, I envy him, yonder he comes, arrayed like a bridegroom, except the black mask. When that is off, we shall see how he regards the fair maid, whose heart he cannot win, though her stern father bestows her hand. Return the troubadour. Tis whispered. That she loves the young English artist who haunts her steps and is spurned by the old count said the lady as they joined the dance the revel was at its height when a priest appeared and withdrawing the young pair to an alcove hung with purple velvet he motioned them to kneel instant silence fell on the gay throng and not a sound but the dash of fountains or the rustle of orange groves sleeping in the moonlight broke the hush as count de Adelon spoke thus my lords and ladies pardon the ruse by which I have gathered you here to witness the marriage of my daughter Father, we wait your services. All eyes turned toward the bridal party, and a murmur of amazement went through the throng, for neither bride nor groom removed their masks. Curiosity and wonder possessed all hearts, but respect restrained all tongues till the holy rite was over. Then the eager spectators gathered round the count, demanding an explanation. Gladly would I give it, if I could, but I only know that it was the whim of my timid viola, and I yielded to it. Now, my children, let the play end, unmask, and receive my blessing. But neither bent the knee, for the young bridegroom replied, in a tone that startled all listeners, as the mask fell, disclosing the noble face of Ferdinand Devereux, the artist-lover, and leaning on the breast where now flashed the star of an English earl, was the lovely viola. Radiant with joy and beauty. My lord, you scornfully bade me claim your daughter when I could boast as high a name and vast a fortune as the Count Antonio. I can do more, for even your ambitious soul cannot refuse the Earl of Devereux and Devere. When he gives his ancient name, And boundless wealth in return for the beloved hand of this fair lady, now my wife. The Count stood like one changed to stone, and turning to the bewildered crowd, Ferdinand added, with a happy smile of triumph, To you, my gallant friends, I can only wish. That your wooing may prosper as mine has done and that you may all win as fair a bride as I have by this masked marriage s pickwick why is the PC like the Tower of Babel it is full of unruly members the history of a squash Once upon a time, a farmer planted a little seed in his garden, and after a while it sprouted and became a vine and bore many squashes. One day in October, when they were ripe, he picked one and took it to market. A grocerman bought it and put it in his shop. That same morning, a little girl in a brown hat and blue dress, with a round face and a snub nose, went and bought it for her mother. She lugged it home, cut it up, and boiled it in the big pot, mashed some of it with salt and butter for dinner, and to the rest she added a pint of milk, two eggs, four spoons of sugar, nutmeg and some crackers put it in a deep dish and baked it till it was brown and nice and next day it was eaten by a family named march t tupman mr pickwick sir i address you upon the subject of sin the sinner i mean is a man named winkle who makes trouble in his club by laughing and sometimes won't write his piece in this fine paper i hope you will pardon his badness and let him send a french fable because he can't write out of his head as he has so many lessons to do and no brains in his future i will try to take time by the fetlock and prepare some work, which will be all comme faux. That means all right, I am in haste, as it is nearly school time. Yours respectably N. Winkle. The above is a manly and handsome acknowledgement of past misdemeanors. If our young friend studied punctuation, it would be well. A sad accident, on Friday last, we were startled by a violent shock in our basement, followed by cries of distress. On rushing in a body to the cellar, we discovered our beloved president, prostrate upon the floor, having tripped and fallen while getting wood for domestic purposes. A perfect scene of ruin met our eyes for in his fall mr. Pickwick had plunged his head and shoulders into a tub of water upset a keg of soft soap upon his manly form torn his garments badly on being removed from this perilous situation it was discovered that he had suffered no injury but several bruises we are happy to add is now doing well. E D A new play will appear at the Barnville Theater in the course of a few weeks which will surpass anything ever seen on the American stage. Constantine the Avenger is the name of this thrilling drama. Hence, if SP didn't use so much soap on his hands, he wouldn't always be late at breakfast. A.S. is requested not to whistle in the street. T.T., T., please don't forget Amy's napkin. N.W. must not fret because his dress has not nine tucks. Weekly Report Meg, good. Joe, bad. Beth, very good. Amy, middling. Middling. As the president finished reading the paper, which I beg leave to assure my readers is a guaranteed copy of one written by guaranteed girls upon the time, a round of applause followed, and then Mr. Snodgrass rose to make a proposition. Mr. President and gentlemen, he began, assuming a parliamentary tone and attitude. I wish to propose the admission of a new member, one who highly deserves the honor, would be deeply grateful for it, and would add immensely to the spirit of the club, the literary value of the paper, and be no end jolly and nice. I propose Mr. Theodore Lawrence as an honorary member of the PC. Come now. Do have him. Joe's sudden change of tone made the girls laugh, but all looked rather anxious, and no one said a word as Snodgrass took his seat. We'll put it to a vote, said the president. All in favor of this motion, please to manifest it by saying "aye." A loud response from Snodgrass followed, to everyone's surprise, by a timid one from Beth. Contrary-minded say no. Meg and Amy were contrary-minded, and Mr. Winkle rose to say with great elegance, We don't wish any boys. They only joke and bounce about. This is a ladies' club, and we wish to be private and proper. I'm afraid he'll laugh at our paper and make fun of us afterward, observed Pickwick, pulling the little curl on her forehead, as she always did when doubtful. Up rose Snodgrass, very much in earnest. Sir, I give you my word as a gentleman, Laurie won't do anything of the sort. He likes to write, and he'll give a tone to our contributions and Keep us from being sentimental, don't you see? We can do so little for him, and he does so much for us. I think the least we can do is to offer him a place here, make him welcome if he comes. This artful allusion to benefits conferred brought Tupman to his feet, looking as if he had quite made up his mind. Yes, we ought to do it, even if we're afraid, I say he may come, and his grandpa too if he likes. This spirited outburst from Beth electrified the club, and Joe left her seat to shake hands approvingly. Now then, vote again. Everybody remember, it's our lorry, and say I cried Snodgrass excitedly. Aye, 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 replied three voices at once. Good, bless you. Now, as there's nothing like taking time by the fetlock, as Winkle characteristically observes, allow me to present the new member. And, to the dismay of the rest of the club, Joe threw open the door of the closet and displayed Lori sitting on a rag bag, flushed and twinkling with suppressed laughter. You rogue, you traitor, Joe, how could you? cried the three girls, as Snodgrass led her friend triumphantly forth, and, producing both a chair and a badge, installed him in a jiffy. The coolness of you two rascals is amazing, began Mr. Pickwick, trying to get up an awful frown, and only succeeding in producing a friendly smile. But the new member was equal to the occasion, and, rising, with a grateful salutation to the chair, said in the most engaging manner. Mr. President and ladies, I beg pardon, gentlemen, allow me to introduce myself as Sam Weller, the very humble servant of the club. Good, good, cried Joe, pounding with the handle of the old warming pan on which she leaned. My faithful friend and noble patron, continued lori with a wave of the hand who has so flatteringly presented me is not to be blamed for the base stratagem of tonight i planned it and she only gave in after lots of teasing come now don't lay it all on yourself you know i proposed the cupboard broken snodgrass who was enjoying the joke amazingly. Never mind what she says. I'm the wretch that did it, sir, said the new member, with a Weller-esque nod to Mr. Pickwick. But on my honor, I never will do it so again, and henceforth devote myself to the interest of this immortal club Hear, hear, cried Joe, clashing the lid of the warming pan like a cymbal. Go on, go on, added Winkle and Tupman, while the president bowed benignly. I merely wish to say that as a slight token of my gratitude for the honor done me, and as a means of promoting friendly relations between adjoining nations, I have set up a post office in the hedge in the lower corner of the garden, a fine spacious building with padlocks on the doors and every convenience for the males, also the females, if I may be allowed the expression. It's the old Martin house. But I've stopped up the door and made the roof open, so it'll hold all sorts of things and save our valuable time. Letters, manuscripts, books, and bundles can be passed in there. And as each nation has a key, it will be uncommonly nice, I fancy. Allow me to present the club key, and with many thanks for your favor, take my seat. Great applause as Mr. Weller deposited a little key on the table and subsided. The warming pan clashed and waved wildly, and it was some time before order could be restored. A long discussion followed, and everyone came out surprising, for everyone did her best. So it was an unusually lively meeting, and did not adjourn till a late hour, when it broke up, with three shrill cheers for the new member. No one ever regretted the admittance of Sam Weller for a more devoted, well-behaved and jovial member no club could have. He certainly did add spirit to the meetings and a tone to the paper for his orations convulsed his hearers, and his contributions were excellent, being patriotic, classical, comical, or dramatic, but never sentimental. Joe regarded them as worthy of Bacon, Milton, or Shakespeare, and remodeled her own works with good effect, she thought. The P.O. was a capital little institution and flourished wonderfully for nearly as many strange things passed through it as through the real post office. Tragedies, Poetry, and pickles. Garden seeds, and long letters. Music, and gingerbread. Rubber, invitations, scoldings, and puppies. Old gentleman liked the fun and amused himself by sending odd bundles, mysterious messages, and funny telegrams, and his gardener who was smitten with Hannah's charms actually sent a love letter to Joe's care. How they laughed when the secret came out. Never dreaming how many love letters that little post office would hold in the years to come.